Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. There's this, uh, there's this old comedy routine uh, that many of you may possibly remember. Uh, it always involves two people, and it, uh, it goes something like this. One person will say, hey, Ross, did you hear what happened to Bill? No, what happened to Bill? Well, Bill fell out of an airplane. Oh, that's bad. No, no, he had a parachute. Oh, okay, that's good. Uh, no, no, the parachute didn't open. Oh, oh that's bad. Uh, but, but no, directly underneath him, there was this really, really huge haystack. Oh, that's good. Well, that's not so good. The haystack had a pitchfork in it. Oh, that's bad. And no, no, he missed the pitchfork. Oh, that's good. Well, he also missed the haystack, too. No, <laughs> that's bad. And it, it really is kind of a bad comedy routine, isn't it? But it really is a little bit like our lives, isn't it? We have, uh, we have these lives full of ups and downs. Wendy and I uh, had some longtime friends we met and have some longtime friends we met in Tulsa. They're the type of people who for nothing, nothing in their life is normal. So they have these absolutely incredible things that happen to them. And you just go, I wish I could experience that once in my life. And then a few months later, they have these incredible tragedies. Like um, last time we visited them, things were going really well. They had started a couple businesses. They were doing great. They had planted a church. It was growing, doing great. They were sending out people from their church to plant other churches. And, and, and yet that very evening when we were with them, the, the, their longtime babysitter, a beloved adopted family member who had just spent the evening watching all of our kids while we had time out and away, fun catching up, uh, was tragically killed in a car accident after she left that evening. That's just kind of how life went for them. Uh, and it's very similar, I think, to Joseph's life. Joseph, uh, who we're primarily looking at over these next couple of weeks through our breakthrough series, they're, they're, he has these really high highs, and we want to say, oh, that's good. And then he has these really low lows, and we want to say, oh, that's bad. So we've already seen this in Joseph's life. I mean, his mom dies in early age, giving birth to his younger brother. We want to say, that, oh, that's bad. But then his dad treats him like, you know, he's awesome. And, and we want to say, that's good. But then his brothers are jealous and despise him because of that. And they sell him into slavery. And we want to say, oh, that's bad. And today we're going to uh, pick up where we left off last week. We're going to see Joseph being sold into slavery to this guy named Potiphar, a uh, cabinet-level man of power in the greatest superpower uh, nation of the day. And in that role, he is tremendously successful, favored, and we're going to think, oh, that's good. So let's jump into the story today in Genesis 39. It says this, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his whole household, and he entrusted his care to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. 
And with Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. And we would just all like to dream about that last sentence of being ours, right? To dream of nothing other than the food you have to eat and to know you have the money to buy whatever you want. I mean, that's like, I already feel the pounds going on dreaming that dream, right? Joseph quickly climbs the ladder. His leadership gifts and skills are affirmed and they're maximized. But I want you to notice one thing in the text before we move on and read more of it. Why is Joseph succeeding? The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. God is blessing him and giving him success, and this is an awesome, oh, that's good moment. But the very next verses are going to introduce some tension into the story, and they're going to frame what we're going to talk about today, something that I think every single one of us gets stuck in from time to time in our lives, and we need a breakthrough. It goes on and says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and that's exactly what we all get stuck in, right? So after a while, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. We're going to talk about temptation today. It's something we all face. Temptation is, in and of itself, not sinful. What we do with temptation determines whether it becomes sinful and harmful in our lives. Sometimes we're tempted to do something totally evil in life, but I think that temptation is indeed rare. I mean, most of the time, we are just simply tempted to fill desires in wrong ways, in distorted ways, or in excessive ways in our lives. Temptation is powerful, and it's unrelenting at times in our life, whether it's like this cougar going after Joseph all the time or in a completely different way. Temptation can be relentless. So... Maybe you see the temptation in your life, in your driving habits, which honestly are kind of a microcosm of most of our lives. We, we're, we're either always hurried, anxious, frustrated, cutting in front of people, yelling at people who are slowing us down, or we're fearful and tentative sometimes, right? You might see temptation in how you relate to sports or your work. Uh, you may see pride, you may see fears coming to the surface, insecurity, competitiveness, always having to win at whatever cost, always concerned about needing to look good. You might see a temptation in relation to your money in your life and your possessions, constantly driven, constantly fearful of poverty, daydreaming about wealth, worried, impulsive, maybe compulsive, going into debt for, for what, you sometimes ask yourself. Or how does sex and romance or the desire to be wanted and loved play into temptations for you? You might see your temptation in how positive or negative you are in relation to how you live. You might be a people-pleasing person, and you might always uh, struggle to say anything difficult in a conversation, and you're, you're tempted just to never deal with stuff. Or, or you may be the person who grumbles and complains, and you're irritable and unhappy on a regular basis. So in what areas of your life... Are you vulnerable to temptation? And maybe even more important than that, what are the messages that you're telling yourself about who you are or about life 
that make you vulnerable to temptation in the first place. Now, I, we don't often do this in a service, but I, I just want to take a moment right now to just pause. I want to ask you to close your eyes, and I want you to just ask God to highlight an area in your life where you find yourself vulnerable, that he wants to bring greater freedom to your life. So I'm just going to give you a moment. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come today and that you would encourage us, that you would give hope even right now to those areas that come to mind, especially those areas where we feel so disappointed in our inability to overcome them. We've all got them. Every one of us has places in our life where we're tempted. So I pray that today you would just come you would show us how much you love us, how good you are, and how you want us to break through to freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. So whatever temptation came to mind, there's one truth that we see in Joseph's life that I think actually the Apostle Paul in his writing illustrates best for us. It's 1 Corinthians 10, and it says this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So you are not alone. You're not the only one struggling with it. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out, or other translations say a way of escape, so that you can endure it. Some of you have felt trapped, succumbing to temptation for years, maybe even decades in your life. And when you let yourself think about those areas of your life, those areas discourage you so much in your relationship with God. They discourage you in what you think God can do in you and through your life, what God will or won't bless in your life. It may even discourage you because you, over time, you've seen the harmful effects it's had on your relationships, your family, or your work, and you feel hopeless. If it's really true, that God makes a way out, makes a way of escape. If God really wants to give us a breakthrough to freedom and facing temptation, I think we need to spend a little bit of time today exploring the truth about what the reality of temptation looks like and how we address it in our lives. I think first we need to understand temptation plays on desires in us that seem pleasurable and maybe even okay. And if we don't think they're okay, we tend to think about them at least as being justifiable as to why we might do them or want them. Temptation pulls us, often playing on good, healthy desires or needs and wanting us to fulfill those healthy things in an unhealthy way. We all need some escape. We all need some entertainment in our life. We can't be driven 100 miles an hour a day every day of the week. But what is it that draws us into those things in unhealthy ways or in unhealthy measure in our life. We all want to be firm. We all want to be loved and wanted, but but temptation pulls us to try to meet those needs in ways that are not healthy. I mean, can you imagine the myriad of reasons Joseph has in his life for maybe even wanting to justify why he should go ahead and sleep with his master's wife? I mean, he might be thinking, come on, Joe, you've been, you've been discarded, used, and abused by your family and others. Wouldn't it be nice to just be loved and wanted in this moment? I mean, come on, Joseph, have a little fun, enjoy life after all you've been through. 
I mean, come on, Joseph, the master's gone. You're in control. You can arrange for a time when you're all alone. No one will ever know. Come on, Joe, what are you thinking? If you don't do this, she's going to make life really difficult for you. Play the game. Protect your future. Protect yourself. What we don't tend to focus on when we're tempted is what we stand to lose by succumbing to that temptation. We don't, we don't think about you know, losing our marriage, our family, or losing a lot of our friendships when we flirt with a coworker. What we tend to get focused on when tempted is the pleasure in our lives, even if it's brief. It whispers in our ear joy and fulfillment, forgetting the reality that no matter what, sin is dangerous. No matter how good it may seem, it's dangerous and destructive. Jackie Hill Perry is this uh, prominent Christian voice in our culture today through her artistry, through her life story, through her writing, through her speaking. She often speaks in profoundly real ways about this issue of how we deal with desires and temptations. She describes how her struggle with temptation was centered in the feeling that certain pleasures, certain desires felt like more than they really were. She had to come to grips with the truth that no matter how good something feels, then she says in her words, sin can never deliver on its promise and make us happy. I like how she describes this. She says, vomit will always be vomit, even if drizzled with chocolate, sliced almonds, and a cherry on top. And that cherry really ruins it. This visual is clarifying for me, isn't it? Maybe for you too. Do I see my giving in to temptation as really choosing vomit with a cherry? I really do hate cherries, the, the, the marshino cherry kind. Although I'm fairly certain Joseph would have wanted to wrestle with a myriad of reasons of why he should enjoy the guilty pleasure, Joseph is very clear. He says, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Which leads us to the second big thing we need to understand about temptation. Resisting temptation is found in turning our heart toward God. I know that statement's kind of obvious. It's kind of duh, right? It's, it's of course. But let's break it down for a minute. Turning our heart toward God begins with knowing what's really going on in our heart. I think Jesus says it best in Luke 6. He says, a good person produces good things from the treasury of good of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say, what you do, flows from what is in your heart. What we do stems from what's going on in here. So we all know we need some relaxation and entertainment for our lives to be ready, but this guy named John, he just comes home, he wants to grow in his relationship, he wants to have better relationships with others, and yet when he comes home from work, he consistently sits most of the evening with screen time. Even though he wants something different, the cycle of disappointment and continual escaping continues for him for months, maybe even years. So the question is, how does John stay in this cycle that he doesn't want? And he wants relationship. He wants to be a good, strong family man and a good friend. But in the moment, it's easier just to open a can and sit in front of the TV. What is John escaping from? What are the thoughts, the feelings that he is not wanting to face? The, is it loneliness or whatever it is? The fear of future, the fear of possible failure or failure in the past and how that makes him feel? What, what feelings of situation are you when you are tempted trying to? to avoid. You need to know your heart. 
You need to know your longings and desires and the messages that you're telling yourself about those desires because temptation comes when we have desires of our heart that go off track. They go off track often because we don't think God wants to meet those desires, so we get them met in a different way. The next critical step in turning your heart towards God is focusing on God as loving. Now, I know many people would say, well, of course God is loving. He gave his life for me. But, but reality is there's a disconnect. And even though we believe God is loving, when we look behind the veneer of temptation, we often discover that we don't trust God's ways are really good or best or that he really does want to take care of us, that he really does care about even those details of our lives. So Wendy and I were listening to Jackie Hill Perry talk about this exact point this last week. So I want you, why don't you just take a moment to listen to her talk on this topic of trusting God's love. Man, I have a lot of sin issues, but uh, foundationally how I resist sin is I really work hard at trying to love Jesus more. Um, in the scriptures, it says, like, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And I think for a long time I read that, like, if you love me, you'll obey me. But now I know that the tone is, if you love me, you will obey me. My love and my affection for Jesus will cause me to resist sin more than any other thing. I can I can have a, a, a load of apologetics in my head. I can know a lot of stuff about God, but if I don't love him more, if he is not my portion, if, if he isn't my joy, then when sin presents itself naturally, I'm going to presume that the sin is better than God. Um, and if I see it as better, if I see it as more worth my time, if I see it as more worth my mind and my thoughts and my actions and my money, um, then I'm going to choose it. And so how I resist sin is doing what I got to do to see Jesus um, that's getting in his scriptures and getting it in my heart, not just developing a bunch of knowledge about God, but like really seeing like if it says that God is good and wise and gracious and merciful and holy, what does that mean for me today? Um, what is the reality of God being all that he says that he is getting in community with other believers who can help start up love and affection for me, um, listening to worship music that is reminding me of the truths of the gospel and who Jesus is. Um, I think that is the best way to resist sin is simply to fall more in love with Jesus. Yeah. Isn't it true there are so many commands in the Bible, so many commands around sex, sexual orientation, money, forgiveness of your enemy, around love, around sanctity of life, that our culture, even a large percentage of people who sit in the seats of churches every Sunday don't believe are good and best. In fact, instead of believing some of God's commands are good and best, we actually believe they are bad and wrong. We don't believe God is good. We don't believe God, the creator of all that exists, is big enough, strong enough, or good enough to define healthy morality and how to follow him clearly enough. See, temptation is often a reflection of unbelief in us. Uh, uh, Jackie Hill Perry goes on to say this. She says, unbelief doesn't see God as the ultimate good. So it can't see sin as the ultimate evil. It instead, it instead sees sin as a good thing and thus God's commands as a stumbling block to joy. 
See, in believing the devil, now she's talking about the, her own sin that she was caught in in this context. She says, I didn't need a pentagram pendant to wear, neither did I need to memorize a hex or two. All I had to do was trust myself more than God's word. I had to believe that my thoughts, my affections, my rights, my wishes were worthy of absolute obedience. Isn't it true that this is the mindset that causes our society to elevate personal choice as the highest value? Think about this from a morality point of view, because much of temptation presses us to violate morality, right? That we believe is true. Morality's purpose is to lead us to living a good life. When we trust our own definitions of morality more than God's definitions, then we see God's ways as not loving, but instead as withholding something good from us. And Satan, when we believe that, and temptation have us right where they want us. So in order to overcome your temptation, each one of us has to sometimes do the hard work of exposing where your heart does not believe God and his commands are good. And then doing the work of looking prayerfully and meditatively at Scripture and seeking to follow God even when we don't like His commands in order to, to discover how good they really are. So there's a third way we turn our heart toward God, and that's to know clearly what I want to say no to, and so I can say yes to something better. See, Joseph's story goes on, verse 11. He says, one day Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him in by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, Joseph knew the first steps in resisting temptation is to just never be alone with it or never alone with the people who cause you to have that temptation, to always have others around. But when there is no escape, Run. And for some of you, you know that there are certain combinations of friends or there are certain places that you're going to go that you are going to have little to no resistance to temptation. Run is an excellent strategy for you. Temptation, sin, always brings destruction. And Joseph knew this, so he ran from the destruction because he clearly knew that as he was saying no to his boss's wife, he was saying yes to something much better. Joseph knew God had given him a calling and a purpose in life. So his response to his master's wife is, Hey, I'm responsible to my master, your husband, who has entrusted me to be responsible for, this for his benefit with all he has, including you. And ultimately, I'm responsible to God, who is the one who has given me this favor and this position and all that I have and where I stand even now in the first place. So how could I sin against God? How could I sin and shirk that responsibility? How could I go against the dream God has for my life? I say no to you because I am saying yes to my future, to a better, the better things, the, the good things God has for me. See, what temptation actually says to us in most instances is this is about your desires, your wants, your thoughts, what you believe will bring you happiness. And Joseph says, no, life is not first and foremost about me. It's about my responsibility to God and the dream my creator God has over my life. 
So uh, in our, that's the reason our first message in this series was all about the dream God has for your life. We need to be in touch with that. You have a responsibility first to God and his dream and the way he created you. Saying no to temptation is saying yes to your responsibility to that dream and to love and protect others as well. Because sinning by giving in to temptation is like a car crash. It affects everyone riding with you through life. It's going to have repercussions of pain for individuals you don't even know. It affects more than just the moment in which you give in to that sin because the pain and damage takes time to recover and sometimes that pain and damage lasts for life. And it causes the insurance rates to go up for all of us. Your sin is never just something that is about you alone. Never. Freedom from temptation comes by accepting the responsibility to say, something, say yes to something greater than yourself and honoring that responsibility. The good life is not a selfish life. The good life is a responsible, self-giving life. Having a purpose and consistently reconnecting with that is such a powerful weapon against temptation in your life. And I get it. Maybe the idea of God's mission and purpose for your life is just a really big intimidating thought. So think of it this way. God has put you in places, in relationships, to enjoy doing good with him in this world, your family, your spouse, the people you work with, your friends, your neighbors. You have a wonderful responsibility God has given you. Why would you want to sin against God and why would you want to sin against the people God has put in your life, thereby bringing harm to God's dream for your life and for their life as well? Because if you divorce without a godly reason, you damage multiple people in your life. You damage yourself, you damage your spouse, you damage any kids and family members, and you damage friendships and relationships that are touched by it. If you don't work hard and honorably, your company won't do as well, which is going to result in people not getting raises that they need and they deserve, maybe even somebody not getting a job that they desperately need because your lack of responsibility didn't help the company create one. We never sin and only affect ourselves. It affects everyone. The third thing we need to examine to understand temptation and find a breakthrough that takes us back actually to the bottom line for today, which is this. God provides a way of escape. So there's this old preacher story. It's kind of old and worn out, but, but, it, but it relates today, so I'm going to make you live through once again if you listen to it many times in the past. It's the story about a man he's lost at sea and he's struggled for days to stay alive and not drown, but alas, he dies and he ends up at the pearly gates talking to God and, and he says, God, why didn't you rescue me? And God answers saying, well, I sent you a speedboat, but you actually liked watching the colorful fish around you more than you wanted to get on that boat, so you stayed there. So then I sent a cruise ship, but you thought that was way too big, and you were, you were disgusted by the pollution that was left in its wake, so you refused to get on that. So I had the cruise recreation director throw you a surfboard, but you were afraid you'd fall off and hit your head, so you didn't get on that. And so then I sent a search plane who threw you, uh, you know, an inflatable raft, but you don't like the color yellow, and you don't want to sit exposed in the sun. So then I made the current bring life preserver ring along, and but you didn't like the way that felt on your pits, so here you are. And even though Joseph's story is too concise to see all those ways God brought him ways of escape, God brings you and I multiple ways of escape every time we face temptation. Every time 
You are with your small group. God is offering you a way of escape, inviting you in that moment to just talk as your group talks or to, to open up and talk with somebody and pray and confess and take responsibility and ask them to help encourage you in what you need. Every time you hear us talk about Thrive Counseling and Coaching, you, got, you have a way of escape that God is providing you if you are healthy enough to seek help when you need it. If your temptation and sin is negatively affecting your finances, every time we talk about Financial Peace University, God is providing you a way of escape. Every conversation you have with family and friends, God is providing you a way of escape if you will just open up and let others in to help and to encourage you. Every time you have downtime by yourself, God is offering you a way of escape if you will use just a little bit of that downtime to do the hard work of discerning what's going on in your heart inviting God to help you understand that and to help you bring healing and deliverance from that, that, that temptation you're facing. See, one of the things that Joseph's story tells us, though, is that God is comfortable leading you into places where you will face hardship and temptation. Now understand, God never causes the temptation. He isn't the one tempting you. But he knows life is certainly going to lead you to places where you will be tempted and that temptation will expose areas of your heart where you don't believe he's really good or where you don't believe he loves you enough to, bring, to be in that situation and he wants to bring healing and strength to that area of your life. And why is God comfortable with that, bringing you into those places? It's simply this. It's because he's with you. He's with you. And he is providing a way out, a way of escape for you. So if we were to continue the story in verse 15, we could read now, because of his integrity and purity to resist temptation and honor God and his master first, God exalted Joseph and gave him a position of greatness in Egypt. But notice something, that little Genesis 39 RAV there, that's a weird guy's, a really weird guy's translation named Ross Adelman. But isn't that how you'd write the story? How we'd want to write the story? How every single one of us would? I mean, Joseph has been through a lot. Huge injustices. Even in the face of all that, he acts with great integrity and honesty. And of course God is going to reward that immediately. That's what we expect. In fact, for some who you struggle with your faith, that is the disappointed demand of God in your life that keeps you distant from God and not believing in God. And yet we all know the reality of life is too many times we do what's right and we are not rewarded. In fact, sometimes the opposite is there. If I look back on my life in hindsight and I, some of the places where I feel like I had the greatest integrity and character triumphs in life have not been rewarded in my life immediately in that moment. In fact, sometimes it's been the exact opposite. Success isn't always immediately rewarded like we expect. So there's a fourth truth we need to understand about life and temptation, which is clearly portrayed in Joseph's life, and it's this. Obedience doesn't always result in immediate blessing. Now let's read the real story and leave that bad person's translation in the past. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. 
and she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how the slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. In other words, this is where Joseph could have fallen into one of the biggest, most difficult temptations I think every single one of us face. It's the temptation of discouragement. I mean, if anyone has the right to have self-pity, it's Joseph. But what we see in today's story, and we're going to see again and again, is Joseph doesn't go there. So in what areas of your life are you easily discouraged? See, in those issues, in those areas, little issues become big issues. And big issues become huge issues. And over time, by adding the catalyst of discouragement to that, even little issues can become impossible to us. In Joseph's life, he has every right to lose hope. Even though Joseph's integrity is, is, is there, he's rewarded with injustice, being thrown into prison where all the most hated and worst criminals of the king go. And I think the text says it best to what happens next. He says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. He was made responsible for all the work that was done there. The warden said, paid no attention to anything but under Joseph's care because the Lord is with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Don't you just want to supervise somebody like that someday? Wouldn't that be awesome? See, what this text clearly is, implies is that Joseph, instead of falling into temptation of hopelessness and discouragement, continues to trust God more. And so he gets up day after day after day, and he looks for opportunities to just serve, to love well in whatever he's doing. And because he honors God and follows God, putting him first, God's favor rests upon him. And God takes those little daily things, that, and he touches the hearts of other people around him. And, and now, even as a prisoner, God's favor is with him. See, no matter what you are facing, what's going on in your life, whether you have a disappointing marriage, uh, uh, you're disappointed in your career or your boss or a coworker or a friend or a family member, the temptation of hopelessness and the temptation to give up rather than to discover a breakthrough to what God promises does not need to tank your situation. I mean, Joseph isn't in control. He does right and is rewarded with wrong. But when he faces temptation, Joseph does what is right and he leaves the rest to God. Why? Because of his love for God. Because he trusts that he's good. Because he knows the promises and the ways of God are good. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. For those times when you succumb to temptation and sin, and all of us will, every single one of us will, remember this. God's amazing grace is able to cover anything and everything you have ever done. Anything and everything. I understand. Satan's going to whisper in your ear, not that one. God can't forgive that one. 
Certainly not that one you've kept doing year after year after year after year. But here's the truth. God can forgive, especially that one. He removes, the Bible says, our sin as far as the east is from the west. And he's ready to provide you a way of escape. The question is whether you will or won't trust him to be good enough to do that for you. See, when life says, oh, that's good, Joseph gives praise to God and he walks with integrity. And when life says, oh, that's bad, Joseph gives praise to God and he walks with integrity. Why? Because he knows God is loving and God is with him. And you know what? God is with you too. He will never, ever leave you. He will always provide a way of escape from temptation in your life. If you will trust him, God's spirit is here even now. He's inviting you now to freedom, not just inviting, but his spirit is actually running towards you with open arms, arms offering freedom. We're going to celebrate communion, so communion service, if you could come on up and get ready. As we celebrate communion today, the bread represents how God came running to be real with us, to be with us. See, when we're tempted and we fall into sin, so we still often think, God's angry with us, and we, he's staying at a distance. But Jesus tells this parable in which the, the son takes the inheritance from the dad early and he goes off and squanders it in, in wretched immoral living. And then, and then he's sheepishly coming back home after he's lost everything and destitute, unsure of what to expect, but believing that the best he can ever expect is the opportunity to prove himself as a slave and maybe get a few scraps. In that story, the climax of Jesus' story is this, though. It's the father. It's God running with open arms running toward him to receive him. See, Jesus coming in the flesh tells us that he comes running to us, willing to be like us, willing to be with us, willing to bear in his body whatever it took to show how much he loves us. Will you receive God running toward you? Even in the temptation and even in the midst of the sins, will you see him running to you with open arms, ready to receive you. That's the truth. And Jesus gave his very lifeblood, which is the juice we celebrate in communion, to ensure that you and I don't have to pay the price for our own sin. Instead, we can be forgiven. There is nothing you have ever done, no matter how many times you've done it, that God isn't ready to forgive and restore life to you, even the dead places the hopeless places, the places you feel eternally stuck in. He wants to come, he wants to forgive, and he wants to give you a breakthrough to freedom in those areas. Would you stand with me as we pray? So Holy Spirit, thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for the story of Jesus coming to us, the reality that you pursue us. God, would you just come in those areas where we struggle with discouragement because we just keep falling over and over again. They may be big areas. They may be small areas. They may be things that we just wish we could do just a little bit better because, but God, would you come to us in those areas? Would you put your arms around us? Lord, help.
help us to receive your love so we can break through and walk into the freedom and the good you desire for us. Lord, for those areas where we've, we've blamed you and we've said you're really not good, your commands are not good, and we've trusted our own ways more, but we can see that we can see the carnage that that causes and the difficulty it causes, Lord, forgive us and teach us, Lord, to trust your love. So, Lord, as we come and receive this bread and receive this cup, would you just, by your Spirit, become real to us in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.